Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. In this podcast, you will hear from leading experts who share their highlights from the 2023 EHA meeting. This podcast features experts Gloria Iacoboni and Paolo Stratti, who discuss exciting updates in lymphoma, including how to intertwine bispecifics and CAR T cells, how to bridge patients to CAR T therapy, and current approaches to managing toxicities with these agents. Dr. Yagobani, it's a very exciting time for oncologists with interest in lymphoma. Uh, over the last few weeks, we had the first approval of a bispecific for patients with relapsed refractory large B-cell lymphoma in third line and beyond with ecoritamab, and there may be a second approval later this year. How do you foresee uh, the possibility to intertwine bispecifics with CAR T-cell treatment? Yeah, thank you, Paolo. So I think that's a very intriguing question. Um, we are also expecting uh, an EMA approval for glifitamab and epcoritamab uh, later this year, but it's true that at this time point, uh, there is no bispecific antibody which is formally approved uh, for the fuselar T-cell lymphoma in the relapse refractory setting. Um, I think at this time point, given all the robust and mature data we have with CAR T-cell therapy um, in the third line and now as well in the second line, especially with the overall survival benefit in the Zuma 7 trial for access cell over standard of care, CAR T-cell therapy remains the go-to option in second line if uh, refractory early relapsed and in third line for patients who are, who are candidates, large B-cell lymphoma patients who are, who are candidates for this therapy. And bispecific antibody will still remain the, the salvage option um, after CAR T-cell therapy. However, um, data is, is definitely getting more robust, and as we get more follow-up with bispecific antibody treatment, we may find that some patients could potentially be cured, uh, as we've seen with CAR T-cell therapy. Uh, regarding sequencing, I think that's a very intriguing question. We have data presented by the Friends Group last year at ASH, which identified some patients who had received bispecifics before CAR T-cell therapy, and this did not seem to impact efficacy or safety, so it seemed to be uh, a safe approach. Um, and we have data of CAR-T and then by specific antibody treatment from the pivotal trials of glufitamab and epcoritamab, where we saw a similar rate of uh, progression-free survival and, and complete response rate. So I think probably in you know both orders, first by specific, so for both first CAR-T cell therapy, it can be um, an, an adequate approach, uh, but I think with the more mature data we have right now with CAR T cell therapy, this should be the go-to option and consider by specific antibody um, later on if the patient is not a candidate or has failed CAR T cell therapy. Regarding the next topic we wanted to cover, um, if we move into CAR T cell therapy, regarding bridging, I think this is a very intriguing question um, for everyone. How do you handle bridging at your center? Yeah, that's uh, agree, a very important question. Uh, as you all know, in the pivotal trial that brought you the approval of Axicel, the Zuma 1 bridging wasn't allowed beyond uh, use of corticosteroids, a low dose. But in, in real world experience, uh, more than uh, half of patients do require bridging treatment. And there's not really currently a standard approach. In the United States, there are uh, four agents approved by the FDA in the third line or beyond that could be potentially used as a bridge into CAR-T. Uh, one of them targets CD79B, like colagizumab vedutin in combination with BR. Uh, other two target CD19, so on the same target as Axitel, uh, tapacitamab and longcastruximab. And finally, selenexor is an XPO1 inhibitor. 
Uh, in the United States, currently, we don't uh, prescribe frequently selinexor due to high toxicity profile and limited efficacy. So really the question comes down to when we look into standard treatments, uh, if any of these three will be uh, safe and effective uh, before initiation of CAR T cells infusion. Uh, there's been recently a European multicenter study in UK, including uh, 375 patients with relapsed refractory large cell lymphoma. And of interest, uh, use of polatuzumab-based regimen as a bridging therapy uh, in a multivariate analysis associated with increased likelihood to achieve a response, so low tumor burden before CAR T cell infusion. Uh, this makes biologically sense. Of course, you want to try to target a different antigen than CD19. Um, uh, and definitely polacizumab is very uh, easy to use before CAR T cell, it's not uh, too myelosuppressive. However, one limitation is that it's formally approved by the FDA in combination with bendamastin, and definitely bendamastin is a very uh, lymphodepleting agent. So our practice is to usually use Pola in combination with rituximab alone, um, and trying to avoid bendamastin, even if the use occurs after leukapheresis. Uh, as you mentioned before, there's, it's still an open question whether uh, CD19 targeting agents could be safely and effectively used before CAR T cell infusion. Uh, limited data are available when it comes to long castuximab. Only uh, 14 patients in the Lotus 2 proceeded to CAR T after use of long car. And in the 10 patients where CD19 expression was evaluated, uh, the expression was still present. Uh, but we need to have larger data sets uh, to uh, make a clear statement that we can use those agents. And finally, when it comes to bispecific, um, uh, as you mentioned before, there are some data that may, they could be um, safely used. One biological concern is that by using T-cell engagers before CAR T-cells, you could exhaust T-cells. Uh, this is a concern derived mostly from the BALL literature, where bispecific like blinatumumab have been available for a longer time than in large B-cell lymphoma. Uh, but it seems to be associated with a continuous infusion. So with the uh, uh, intermittent use that we do with either EPCO or GLOFI, hopefully we won't see T-cell exhaustion, and we may be able in the future, well, I completely agree that first use of bispecifics will be in the post-CAR T setting, but potentially to use them as a bridging to CAR T. And now staying on the CAR T topic, uh, currently, CAR T cell treatment is a standard treatment, both in US and Europe, and uh, even in second line. So definitely the amount of patients who receive CAR T cell treatment uh, is increasing uh, exponentially. Uh, but one big problem that remains, particularly for very active uh, CAR T cell product like AxiCell, uh, probably due to CD28 cost similar to domain, is a high rate of neurotoxicity that in real world are reporting as many as 60% of patients, which is not trivial. Uh, what's your management uh, in case of uh, ICANS in patients with large B-cell lymphoma after CAR T? Yeah, it's, that's a great question. Um, we still use dexamethasone, I mean, steroids, unfortunately, is still our first line. I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see the, the trials which are ongoing with prophylactic anakinra and another agent. Uh, but I think it's kind of universal that uh, steroids remains the first line of treatment with dexamethasone. And we've moved into a more frequent use of anakinra in, in the second line. So for patients who are not steroid responsive or are steroid dependent and relapse um, a upon uh, tapering, um, our second line would be Anakinra. Uh, manuscript was published recently working uh, from, with some sites from Spain and, and the group from Seattle of Fred Hutt um, looking at the different doses of Anakinra used uh, across uh, different hospitals. And it seems that higher doses of Anakinra, the ones we use, eight milligrams per kg IV, uh, seems to be of larger benefit to the patients than lower doses like 100 to 100 milligrams per day. So we do start out with these high doses 
cases and then taper the anakindra if the patient is responding. And then I think another interesting topic would be if anakindra and steroids do not work. Unfortunately, there are some cases like this. We would move into, into apical chemotherapy. We are uh, using this. We've used it in approximately five, six patients, and it has actually worked nicely. I mean, it's true that you never know if it's the intrathecal chemotherapy, the anakindra or the steroids the patient is receiving, which finally did the trick. But um, we think this is definitely uh, a good option once we rule out with a lumbar puncture that other causes in the differential diagnosis um, are not there. So this, this would kind of, I mean, be our, our management. It's true that we don't wait for an overt symptoms for a grade two or three. We start steroids quite early with grade, grade one ICANs. So I think that's important. Um, as Ann said, and, and the worsening can be rapid. And the coordination, of course, with the ICU unit is, is crucial uh, in these patients. Would you um, see any different management on your site, maybe? No, I would say that that's exactly also our management. Uh, we also tend to use, of course, as frontline corticosteroids. There's some conflicting data as to whether using corticosteroids may impact our CAR T-cell amplification and function and key may be the dose and duration. So not every corticosteroid use will impact uh, outcome after CAR-T, but very high dose or very prolonged treatment may. Uh, and exactly as you described, for patients who are corticosteroid refractory or dependent, will use Anakira. And as you said, uh, for those where even Anakira doesn't work, uh, whose number is actually increasing, uh, we do try to offer intratecal uh, methotrexate or cytarabine. Uh, unfortunately, some patients can have very low counts, uh, you know, severe thrombocytopenia. So in that case, intratecal treatment may not be an option. And that's where we're unfortunately are limited to the use of systemic treatments. And is there any rule for cetuximab? I mean, we are not using it, the truth, a lot, but I'm, I'm keen to know your, your approach to this agent. Yeah, so based on uh, preclinical work uh, published uh, both my MSK and uh, University of Sarafoli in Italy uh, on nature medicine a few years ago, uh, barely, clearly the biological mechanism of neurotoxicity seems to be driven by tumor-associated macrophages under induction of CAR T cells and to be mainly driven by interleukin-1 receptor um, uh, pathway. Um, in preclinical models, there's, by using Anakira, there was a decrease both in ICANS and CRS. This has not been replicated in clinical practice. Uh, but there's actually some concern that targeting instead the interleukin-6 pathway may induce a rebound increase in interleukin-1 and paradoxically uh, worsen neurotoxicity. Uh, you know, may not be the same with siltaximab due to the slightly different mechanism of action as compared to uh, tocilizumab. Uh, but currently, we don't, we're, we're not using in clinical practice anti-interleukin-6 antibodies to uh, minimize neurotoxicity. That's, that's very interesting. Thank you, Paolo. My, my last question was regarding cytopenias. I mean, this is, I think, a really hot topic when it comes to CAR-T. It's going to be the main issue in long-term follow-up. Um, I think management is quite heterogeneous across sites. So I'd love to know your insights on cytopenias after CAR-T cell therapy. Yeah, I agree that this is the new hot topic in the CAR-T cell space. As we understand more about the pathophysiology and the management of CRS or ICANS, the mechanism of uh, cytopenia remain quite unknown. Um, there are really three types of cytopenia. Early cytopenia, most likely due to myelosuppression from lymphodepleting chemo, but then late cytopenia, starting day 30 or persisting at day 30 or beyond, and uh, a very late cytopenia beyond day 90. Uh, what is interesting is that no matter what product we use, 30% of patients 30 days after CAR T cell infusion will have grade 3 or higher cytopenia, so either neutropenia, anemia, or thrombocytopenia. 
for years, we have assumed that this was just a consequence of the use of fludarabine and cyclophosphamide as lymphodepleting uh, chemotherapy uh, strategy. However, the uh, depth and duration of cytopenia that we see tends to be much higher than what we see, for example, with the use of the same agents like FCR in patients with CLL, where you could actually expect even worse cytopenia due to more frequent bone marrow involvement and actually uh, repeated cycles of treatment. Uh, finally, some light has been shed by some translational work. Uh, there's been a publication from Dr. Rejewski, and we also recently published our own single-cell RNA sequencing data. So by collecting bone marrow samples prospectively in patients with large B-cell lymphoma who develop or did not develop prolonged cytopenia after CAR-T, uh, by single-cell RNA sequencing, we were able to identify an oligoclonal CD8-positive T-cell population that has an increased pathway, in, uh, an increased expression of interferon gamma pathway. Uh, we don't have functional data, but this suggests that targeted interferon gamma may translate into uh, resolution of cytopenia. Now, there are agents uh, available like emapalumab, as you know, it's an antibody targeting interferon gamma currently approved for in the United States for primary HLH, but not for secondary, of course, but neither for CAR T related cytopenia. So, there would be an option. An easier option uh, is TPO um, agonists such as l or Romiplostin because they also target the interferon gamma pathway. It may sound counterintuitive using a TPO agonist for somebody, let's say, with isolated neutropenia, but translational data suggests that this may work. And actually now there are finally some case series published, either with l or Romiplostin showing some resolution of this persistent cytopenia. I think that investigating this further is gonna really help to resolve a highly unmet need because these patients may be cured by their lymphoma and still having to be managed like patients with myelodysplastic syndrome with very frequent tra transfusions or hospitalization for infectious complications. And most importantly, there's been a recent publication by the Mayo Clinic showing that the main reason why patients with large B-cell lymphoma who relapse after CAR-T are ineligible for clinical trials that may be potentially life-saving is cytopenia. So on one side, we need to try to address better this complication. And on the other, uh, probably we also have to uh, be more flexible when it comes to eligibility for trials after CAR-T. Uh, what has been your standard approach for this uh, prolonged cytopenia, Dr. Jacoboni? Yeah, so t very similar to what you have mentioned. Uh, usually during the first month, we give the patient DCSF support for the neutropenia and transfusion support for the anemia or thrombocytopenia. Um, and then after one month, if cytopenias are persistent, we do recommend carrying out a bone marrow aspirate and or biopsy if necessary um, to rule out, as you mentioned, other causes. We have to remember that these patients have not only received CAR T cell therapy, but also previous lines of immunochemotherapy and could have developed a myelodysplastic basic syndrome. So I think this, this you know, full uh, workup is very important. Um, if we, this is ruled out, uh, then we do consider romiplostin or L-trombopac TPO analogs, which we have administered in a few patients um, for these patients. We also consider a stem cell boost if it's available. It's true that unfortunately it's not available for many patients, but some were aphorized for an autograft, which never uh, was eventually carried out. So they have these uh, cryopreserved stem cells and this could be you know, one consideration to take into account for, for some patients who have persistent uh, cytopenias prolonged after one month post-CAR T cell infusion. 
the truth is we, we don't have experience with, with other agents. Um, there are other reports on some immunosuppressive agents we could be considered, or even the satinib as a non-switch, off-switch for CAR-T. There's some preclinical data and, and case reports with that. Um, but it's true that I think it becomes quite uncertain uh, after TPO analogs. There are not, not, many, not many agents which have you know, really sufficient evidence to be to be used in that in that setting, and as you mentioned, I think this is a key factor to remember because it will um, kind of um, be key when we're following that patient long-term follow-up after CAR T cell infusion. The cytopenia is a kind of mandate how often we have to see the patients. Eventually, we can see them every month, or we have to see them more often and can condition uh, a higher risk of infections, which many times is the grade five, unfortunately, adverse event, um, as we've seen in the, in the clinical trials, uh, which can potentially uh, limit the patient's life and quality of life. So I think infections and underlying cytopenias are, are really, really important in long-term follow-up of CAR T cell patients. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Paolo, for the Thank interview, you, and look forward to seeing you on Vijay Himonk. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Hemonk and subscribe to VJ Hemonk Podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Until next time.